are the voyages of the starship Therapies. Its continuing mission to explore strange inner worlds, to seek out new insights and new realizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Spock, that was such a wonderful away mission to Seattle for Emerald City Comic Con. I know that we spent a lot of time talking about how spooky the Pacific Northwest is in our last up, but it was so lovely to be somewhere green. I think that spooky green might be my new favorite color. And we got to see old friends and make new friends, and audiences were thrilled to meet me in person. Yes, it was quite pleasant and a great opportunity to reconnect with Sulu, as well as educate the good people of Seattle about our research. I'm glad we both had our own kind of fun. And we only (laughs) lost one red shirt, so that really helped my numbers. Speaking of my many, many triumphs, I'm also thrilled that we're going to break down the hero's journey today. The journey of James T. Kirk. Uh, Carol Danvers, sir. Uh, So what? Uh, While you are correct that you have certainly gone through the hero's journey or monomyth, I'm afraid that our lens for this two-parter is about Carol Danvers, Marvel's Captain Marvel, not you, sir. Oh, that is very disappointing. I liked the cat in the new film, though. We all did, sir. But I know for a fact that you are a fan of Kelly Sue DeConnick, writer of Bitch Planet, as well as a run of Captain Marvel. She made a cameo in the film! I know. You told me. And we saw her walk through the lobby while we were having tea at ECCC. Are you sure there isn't one more C? No, it's Emerald City Comic Con 3. No, you're right. You're right. I just always want a fourth. Anyhow. I don't know why. Well, best left for another day. (laughs) Um, Why don't we go ahead and start the show, huh? You can regale us with more celebrity creeping at, at a later time, and we can talk about the seas then, too. All right. But we did also see George Takei at breakfast. Anyway, hi, everybody. I'm Justine Mastin, LMFT, Yogini, writer, researcher, and captain of this particular ship. Welcome aboard. And I'm Larissa Garski, licensed marriage and family therapist, writer, researcher, Spockian first officer, and I'm doing my very best. Just a reminder to the listeners at home that just because we are therapists does not mean that we are your therapists, unless, of course, we are your therapists. This podcast is for the purposes of education and humor and is not intended to replace seeing your own therapist. And if you notice that our voices sound a bit different this episode, it's because our illustrious producer has us using a new platform. We hope that you enjoy hearing the proper timbre of my voice. And now on to the hero's journey. Spock, why don't you give us a brief overview of what this thing is? I know it's one of your favorite topics. It very much is, sir. It's about everyone's favorite JC. Jesus? What? No. My goodness, sir. I almost could take that as an insult. You said JC. You started it. Well, but everyone knows that JC stands for the illustrious Joseph Campbell. Nobody knows that. Famed What? But he's a very famous mythologist, sir, and he discovered the monomyth, otherwise known as the hero's journey, the story that reoccurs in different forms in every culture throughout the globe. Did he discover it, 
or did he just write it down? Well, I guess I would say that he, mm, I see your point. Um, he definitely wrote down many iterations of the myth, some of which had heretofore been not written down. But I, I do think that we are f uh, somewhat safe in maybe saying that he discovered it because he was one of perhaps, nay, the biggest, most kind of obvious person who looked at all these different myths and said, hey, these all seem to be telling versions of the very same story. Right. I mean, Carl Jung was kind of out there too before our the illustrious JC or Joseph Campbell. Um, and he was starting to pick up on that. Then there were and there were a couple other people that Jung references quite a bit, um, particularly in the collected works version of the archetypes part one, um, who were kind of out there doing that work. Wow, that was a lot of book learning. Feel like I feel like we've all learned a lot. Um but let me see if I can break this down into little bite-sized pieces. So what Joseph Campbell did is he looked at stories across time and space and noticed that cultures that had had no interaction with one another had stories that were very similar and followed the same pattern. So it's not as though they had shared these stories with each other and decided on this pattern. This was a pattern that was sort of innate to us the same idea as how archetypes were discovered. Captain, that was so simple, yet eloquent, specific, yet not overdone. I'm really quite impressed. Thank you. Um, do you feel like it would be helpful for me to define archetypes just for those who maybe haven't committed the entirety of our podcast library to memory? Uh, no, I think they should just go back and listen to it. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Tell them well, about the <laughs> <laughs> All right. So archetypes is a term that was coined by um, everyone's favorite Carl Jung. Um, I don't abbreviate his name. His name is Carl Jung. Um, <laughs> I will explain the entire method to my madness um, when I explain why I think that ECCC should have another C. Um, and... <laughs> So archetypes are basically um, tropes or, or character types that we find throughout different civilizations and cultures and societies, right? Um, so you can see kind of right off the bat how archetypes very much sort of dovetails with this idea this idea of the hero's journey. Um, I, I find it sometimes most helpful to think of the hero's journey as the plot, and then archetypes are going to be the characters that you are going to meet along the plot of the hero's journey. Oh, I love that description. Why have I never used that description? Well, now you can, sir. Oh, yeah. I'm stealing that. <laughs> that shit's mine now. <laughs> How about we walk our listeners through the first half of the hero's journey using Captain Marvel as our model? So the hero's journey is often depicted um, with a circle as a way to illustrate it. And there are lots of different ones. I mean, if, if you hop on the Google right now and Google <laughs> hero's journey, you will get a bunch of different little little doodles of what that looks like uh it's true i think i think wikipedia probably has the best doodle though wouldn't you say so yeah far? wikipedia has a very good doodle it's one of the it's the most oft used doodle 
and I think the easiest to understand. And I would agree. And I would also say for those of you who just really prefer, you know, books, things that you can hold in your hand, um, I would encourage you to pick up The Hero with a Thousand Faces. And I would note that on page 210, you can see a comprehensive drawing of the hero's journey circle um, that I assume is Joseph Campbell approved, being as it's in his book. That is a very thick, dense tome. So I I only suggest picking it up if you're like, I like research. I if I'm yes. am I team Kirk or am I team Spock? I'm fucking team Spock. I want a big ass book. That's when you pick that up. <laughs> I'm just throwing that out there. I don't want anyone to be like, oh, that sounds like a nice beach read. Like it's not. Yeah. It's not. No. <laughs> No, no. Um, I think there's a reason that when you first search the hero with a thousand faces on Amazon, that the first like five Google. options are oh, all Amazon. Oh, never mind. Sorry. Yeah, on Amazon, um, the like initial the f- initial options are all hard backed, right? I feel like it says something about the people who are seeking out this book. They're like, I want something that's dense <laughs> and heavy <laughs> that I have to like sit down and open up like preferably at some sort of table or with like a pillow type situation so I can rest this tome on top of it. (laughs) And just as a very brief aside, I think it is important for listeners to know that when Mm -hmm. uh, Spock arrived at the hotel for ECCC and was reorganizing things, you know, like taking things out and arranging her day bag, that she pulled out the largest book in the world. <laughs> and it was fucking Anna Karenina. Who does that? Mm, it sure was, listeners. It sure was. Who's reading Anna Karenina on a plane? And I think it's really important to also note that as I was doing this and rearranging my space, I observed aloud to the captain, you know, I think I can take Anna Karenina out because I don't think I'll be reading it at the con. <laughs> And much to the captain's credit, um, she paused and just held that there for a second, perhaps thinking that maybe I would realize the ridiculousness of what I had said. And spoiler alert, I did not. Um, I just thought that maybe the captain was taking a deep breath or swallowing. Um, and then and then she was like, uh, no, I can pretty much guarantee that you will not need that at the con. And she was right. Yeah, there was not a moment when you were like, Ugh, if only... If only I had this five pound book on a Krenina with me, then I could I could take a knee and uh, just start reading it. Because <laughs> you know, cons can get pretty boring. What what we really need is like some some Russian <laughs> literature. literature. That's what we need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for those of you who also read um, on a Krenina. War and Peace, anything by Gogol. <laughs> um, if, you, if you read those kinds of things on airplanes, um, I think you'll love The Hero with a Thousand Faces. <laughs> oh, that's going to just and I, be a romp. <laughs> be a fucking romp. <laughs> it will. And feel free to like hit me up, you know, either on Twitter at Spock Salliers or on our Facebook page, and we can talk about... Um, you know, what kinds of heavy books you like to read on planes. Yeah, or uh, the Insta. You can uh, snap a photo True. of the giant book you're reading 
and and tag and tag Starship Therapies and Spock will be thrilled. I will. So anywho, I know anywho. I, getting, I took us back to actually. Yeah, I took us off that off that train. That's fine. Getting back to the wonderful circle that is the hero's journey. Um, and before we talk about Carol Danvers and her relationship to it, I do want to highlight the fact that it's a circle for a reason. Oh, right. And what is that? And the reason that it's a circle is that when we are talking about all versions of the monomyth, part of um, part of what makes them a monomyth is the understanding that once the story ends, a new version of it will start again. Mm. Because the hero's journey is not just a story that we would tell around campfires back in the day um, when we were doing a lot of hibernating with dried meat. Um, <laughs> part of its power, shout out to those of you who got that reference from a couple pods back. Um, part of its power is that it has important things to tell us about our own lives as human beings. So while it's not the case that we are like literally going to enter an abyss and grab some amazing elixir of life out and then return to our community and bestow said elixir elixir on the community, like we're not going to do that literally. We are going to be doing variations of that in our daily life. And as the processes of life continue over and over and over again to put another way once you've climbed one mountain you're going to rest relax rejuvenate hopefully celebrate but then look to the next mountain so too in the hero's journey once it has ended another call to adventure begins Mm -hmm. right our our life is our life is one big story but there are all sorts of smaller plots within this larger plot that we live yes it's it's like a series of of volumes Mm -hmm. if you will yeah and the, mm-hmm. the nice thing about this being a circle is that we can talk about the parts as being at times of day. So we can talk about things happening Ooh. at noon or three. I hadn't thought or of that. Five. Oh, you haven't? No. Oh, you've been missing out, friend. Apparently. I'm, I'm just learning so much. <laughs> well, I feel like we're learning from each other. Mm, oh. That's true. Mm. Yeah, uh, this... I did not come up with that. That is a popular way to talk about the hero's journey. So uh, I can't own that. Uh, But I do own that I taught it to you just now. So that makes me feel good. (laughs) Yes. And when I, when I teach it to others or use this again, I will only be crediting you (laughs) much like earlier when I was like, and Carl Jung also came up with some important ideas related to the hero's journey. And then I just didn't bother to go ahead and name any of the others who'd who'd helped him along that path. (laughs) Just him. Just him. He's the one I care about right now. Yes. Yeah. So in today's pod, since uh, we have already named that this is going to be a two-ep, a two-parter, we will be mm-hmm. discussing from 12 o'clock until 6 o'clock. And then we'll pick it up again from 6 o'clock back to 12 o'clock. Yes. And for those of you who actually did go out and purchase The Hero's Journey and consulted page 210, um, you will already have noticed um, 10,000 points to Ravenclaw if you went out, got it, and are looking at it as I'm speaking right now, because you earned all those points. And I can't imagine anyone in a house that wasn't Ravenclaw (laughs) going out. And and doing that. Um, so, you know, like, I don't know if you're a Hufflepuff or a Slytherin and you did it, 
mad props to you, but I'm, my money's on the Ravenclaws here. Um, so if you are looking at the visual on 210, one of the things that you will notice is that um, I don't think that Joseph Campbell slash whomever he commissioned to make this particular graphic for him understood the glory of using the clock mm. because in fact his would be his is like in the opposite order oh no thank you right so just just wanted to mention that mm. for yeah the raven claws out there that's not very intuitive joseph no it's it honestly it's not but <laughs> but we still love you jc yeah not jesus joseph campbell I mean, he, there are some problematic things about Joseph Campbell, too. He, We love him. He did some great things. And also, uh, just spoilers, he believed that only men could go on the hero's journey. Well, I don't actually think that's true. Mm, he, he, I don't think that's true. He's quoted as saying something <clears throat> real dumb about women and the hero's journey. Yes. Uh, I, I, fair. Totally fair. Um, but... Many of the stories that he references in the book that he wrote, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, feature women. Mm. Um, and certainly those of you out there who have seen The Power of Myth, he talks about like several of the myths that he cites feature women as well. Um, so I, I don't think that it's accurate to say that he was like that he was as polarized about it as he was like, this is only for men and for men only. I do think, and I don't remember the exact quote, but I do think that he said he pro- he said something in reference to like it needed to, it was gendered mm-hmm. basically yeah. um which is not the case and in fact it it very much speaks to his own biases because there are like i said there are lots of myths that he references in here that don't follow that idea that that he had at one point in his life at all okay See, and that's why research is great. <laughs> Returning back to the hero's journey, since I did take us on a bit of a, uh, you know, tangential side path yeah, that was fun and amusing. Pretty sure I did that Much again. like, well, that's true, but I, I certainly joined you in the side quest. Mm-hmm. Um, so now I'm going to bring us back to the, the main story mission, if you will. Because um, the beginning, the way that the hero's journey always, always starts is with the call to adventure. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? What does it mean to be called to adventure? Um, this is one of the nice things about the mono myth, so-called, because mono and myth are the one myth that we see across um, all cultures, right? Um, it is exactly what it sounds like. So the call to adventure is... Um, Let's go with Carol Danvers. Carol Danvers is out there living her life, right? Mm-hmm. She's living her best life or, you know, doing the best she can in the 90s, oh, which so based good. on the uh, based on the amazing montage um, that was depicted at a few different points in the film, it seems like, you know, she's doing good for the most part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's doing the best uh, she can well, being a female in a male uh, career in the 90s. Yeah, Carol Danvers is out there living the best 90s life that she can um, with her BFF and co-pilot Maria Rambo, right? Mm -hmm. She's in the Air Force. She has like that sort of 90s alt-grunge aesthetic going on. Working real well. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Mm -hmm. Seems to be quite good at karaoke. Mm. Um, But she finds herself, 
in the Air Force struggling because it it was as as I think it you know continues to struggle with today. It was very sexist. Mm-hmm. And there were, I want to say, and I don't remember if this, if I'm picking this up from the comics or if this was made clear in the movie as well, but she's not allowed to fight combat missions because she's a girl. They do say it explicitly in the movies, and I'm sure they go into it in the comics too. Great. Um, Yeah, because, you know, maybe she would get her period and couldn't fly. That is so real. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Just to be clear, that's certainly not an opinion that I hold or anyone here at Starship Therapies holds but that opinion ran rampant back in the 90s and is still alive today (laughs) but we can use the westworld construct and nope that and change it Mm -hmm. and that's what we're doing so then carol hears the call to adventure from dr wendy lawson who is heading up the pegasus project right dr wendy lawson is like come work for me we are going to do amazing things that relate to flight and engines that are going to change the world and so in the monomyth, in the hero's journey, the hero who isn't quite sure if they're a hero or wants to become a hero but doesn't know how, they get this call to adventure. They encounter someone, usually a wise person, a sage, if you will, to use that archetype, um, who says to them some version of, come with me, try this thing, go this way, let's start this adventure. And as uh, this is not in the... A monomyth diagram that I'm looking at, but it's a very common part of this diagram is after the call to adventure, the hero refuses the call. There is a refusal of the call. Sometimes, yes. Um, That was not really the case for Carol. She seemed to be like all in. She did. Um, But this is where it gets very interesting, I think, in the way they chose to tell the story. And I guess my bias in seeing the film was I was I was so deeply grateful to the co-directors and the team of writers that they decided to drop us in right in the like the center of Carol's story. Mm-hmm. So rather than doing the thing that I think maybe the best example in the in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is what they did with um, Captain America, mm-hmm. where it has this very sort of like David Copperfield here I am, I'm young, I'm growing up. It's very sequential and chronological, right? right? They don't do that with us and Carol. They drop us in and Medius race, which means kind of in the beginning of the action. Mm -hmm. So we encounter her when, after she's woken up from a nightmare, Mm -hmm. not to be confused with a daymare. (laughs) (laughs) Mommy, I had a daymare. Oh, so good. So good. 10,000 extra points to whoever, to uh, your house listeners, if you know what that riff is Mm -hmm. from. Um, we're not going to tell you right now. Um, so anyway, Carol wakes up and she's on the Cree homeworld, right? Mm-hmm. And there is another call to adventure journey that's happening here. It's out of order from her original timeline, or at least it's told out of order in the movie, but she's struggling with whether or not she wants to be a Cree warrior. Mm-hmm. Because that's what she's been trained for. She has sexy Jude Law, who's kind of taken her under his wing, and like they're doing, they have this whole like master Padawan learner thing happening. And then she goes to see the AI, who's the supreme ruler slash god of the Cree people, who's like, "Come on, Carol, get with it. Are you in or are you out?" And that is a great example of, you know, Carol. She clearly is a hero. She's ready to fight. She wants to go out and do good works, do important things, but. She seems to have some some hesitancy about 
the way that she's being told a hero ought to act by the Kree. Moving chronologically through Carol's hero's journey, we see in her initially, there's no hesitancy about the call. She immediately says yes mm-hmm. to the Pegasus Project. Yes. Um, and it's heavily implied that she recruits her her best her best girl, Maria Rambo, to come with her, right? Um, but in the sort of second part of her hero's journey, where she receives the call to become a heroic Cree warrior, there is some hesitancy. Yes. And she does kind of sort of refuse the call. And there certainly is some implication that maybe there had been more refusal before the start of the film. So once the once the person has rejected the call and then ultimately accepted the call, uh, they they reach the threshold. And that's the that's the space in between the known, you know, the reality that we're coming from and the unknown, which Mm -hmm. is often called the supernatural world or, you know, the, the place that we that that we're unfamiliar with. Yes. And usually to help them cross the threshold, because to use kind of Joseph Campbell's terms, he viewed that that crossing the threshold, you're moving into another realm. And he often talked about it as moving it into moving into more of like a supernatural realm. Um, so in myths, you'd see people like literally crossing over sometimes into the underworld. If we're thinking like, I don't know, Greek mythology, like going into Hades, maybe you're going up, like going into the clouds to hang out with, you know, I don't know, the Norse gods chilling up there. Maybe you're going to another like country region. In Carol's case, there's lots of like planetary stuff going mm-hmm. on. So for her, when she's crossing the threshold in kind of part two of her journey with the Cree, it's when she's going on her first mission. Mm-hmm. And there's a helper for her, which is pretty typical too, right? In the hero's journey, that there's a helper who's right at like who's right at the threshold and is like, here, maybe you need some help. Maybe you need a nice push over the edge here, right? And Carol's helper in the second part of her hero's junior journey on the Cree homeworld is played by everyone's favorite sexy 40-something June Law or, oof, I'm going to butcher this, even though I know I heard it in the film, Jan Rog. That doesn't sound right. <laughs> well, my friend, let me spell it for you. It's Y-O-N-R-O-G-G. Huh. All right. Right. Despite his super alien name, Jan Rog is played by a very regular, average-looking white dude. <laughs> yeah, he sure is. Um, the, the you best believe, friends, that that went right in my red bujo that I'm bringing with my first meeting with Kevin Feige. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do I have a meeting set up with him yet? Not yet. But. You know, a Spock can dream. And and she does. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm going to need some help with you on this one. If when we go back to kind of that for the beginning of her hero's journey chronologically, you know, when she's going to the Pegasus Project, who would you say is her helper there? Well, I would say that Dr. Lawson was was her helper slash guide. Sure, that makes sense. Uh, because while while it is her project, it's it's similar to, you know, Gandalf and the Hobbits. Like it's it's kind of Gandalf's mission, but he's still the helper. So that that's how I picture the situation with Carol and Doctor Lawson. 
Yeah. Is that Dr. Lawson has invited her to cross the, the threshold and is then her guide. Because if you think of the part in the film uh, when they're flying together and mm -hmm. uh, Dr. Lawson is it, I mean, she doesn't explain a ton, uh, but the, the... no, that's true. She's, she's very um, mysterious, mm -hmm. but she does say she offers some help. She's like, Hey, those are the bad guys. Shoot at them. <laughs> yes she, she does and actually you have brought us so naturally and organically to um the next part of the hero's journey moving chronologically um which is tests mm -hmm. right so once the hero crosses into the threshold they proceed to be tested and we don't know kind of what were like the early versions of those tests for carol once she joined the pegasus project i'm sure they had something to do with flying planes mm -hmm. Um, but we, but the big test is the one where she arrives to, I, I don't know, would it be a, the accurate to call it a base headquarters? Yeah, the base. They're clearly like an, in, uh, the base. Okay. I wasn't sure. Cause it's it, Pegasus isn't like directly affiliated with the army. Um, they seem to be more kind of like independent contractors it's maybe. Um, yeah, fair. Totally fair. Love a good mm -hmm. HQ. Um, so Carol shows up to HQ and Dr. Lawson is just all turned up, right? <laughs> and this is where she's very mysterious and she's not very clear to Carol, but she's like, I gotta, I gotta test the engine. I gotta do this thing. And Carol's like, dude, I can help. I can do this. Pick me. Say yes mm -hmm. to me. Um, and Dr. Lawson sort of hesitates, but we all know what her answer is going to be. And her answer is yes. And they hop in the plane. The big test is coming. They're literally testing the drive. Um, that's something else to keep in mind about the hero's journey here, folks, is that it's quite literal mm -hmm. in the storytelling often. Um, and so it's a literal test of the drive. And this is Carol's biggest test thus far. Um, and there's a lot of spoilers here. So if you don't want to be spoiled, friends, pause here. And go see the film. Yeah. Because this test thing, it doesn't really go so well. <laughs> At least the test of the engine. Yeah, that's that's one challenge that she had. But the thing about this first half of the hero's journey is that there's usually not just one test or challenge or temptation. There's usually a, a series of them. Um because that gives our hero a chance to grow, go through further and more intense challenges um in carol's case you know when that plane crashes suddenly she she meets with jude law whose whose character name is just that's too hard right now um <laughs> totally so fair. when carol's plane crashes and she realizes oh man this this guy's the enemy this jude law guy is the enemy she keeps fighting him and he, you know, he needs the tech that's in her plane. And instead of letting him get the tech, she blows it up and incidentally kills herself, basically. So we, we hit six o'clock, which is the abyss. And the abyss is a literal or a figurative death. And mm -hmm. as we come up the other side, which we'll talk about in our next app, we're reborn as something new. But we're gonna we're gonna pause here at the figurative death, where. Well, we're gonna pause here in this section of her hero's journey, right? Yes. 
because there's another death or more of a much more of a metaphorical death that happens in kind of the present timeline of uh, the Captain Marvel mm-hmm. film. Right. So but this is Carol has another. Big, oh, I was just going to say, but this is a yes. moment when Carol Danvers stops being Carol Danvers. She transforms into something and someone new. Mm-hmm. But please go on. Yeah. Yes. No, no, no. I'm th- I think it's fair. And I'm glad that you interrupted me because she, she does, she has, she almost mm-hmm. dies. And what does die is that old version mm-hmm. of her. Um, because spoilers, when she wakes up, she is, she is very, she is a new Carol, right? Um, and yes, she, you're right. She is Veers. Mm -hmm. And in the Veers, in the Veers timeline, she has another kind of series of tests that she goes through, right? She has the small ones where she and Jude Law kind of like duke it out. And Jude Law is like, you're ready, you're not ready. And then they go through the subway system to converse with the AI, which is another test. Um, and the, well, when, while it's initially not super clear if the AI god thinks she's ready or not, ultimately we see that she is sent on her first big mission, i.e. her first big test. Um, and they go to that planet um, where they are. the Kree are very concerned that the Skrull are hanging out and doing angry Skrully things. Um, and that test doesn't go so hot either. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and in this, in, this was kind of the test, uh, the Veers test was, are you, or are you not going to be a Cree warrior? Mm-hmm. And we're going to get more into this in app two, but absolutely, you know, when Carol crash lands on earth and wakes up, it's still unclear whether or not she is going to transform into a full-fledged Cree warrior. Mm-hmm. But we'll, you know, we'll get into that more next time. Okay. That feels like a good spot to stop for today. Agreed. We want to, we want to leave you on a cliffhanger, just like we, I mean, we don't want to leave you in the abyss. That's sad, but six o'clock seems like such a good time to stop. Uh <laughs> It, it does. And and I do think we've like let listeners know that obviously like Carol isn't going to like languish in the abyss forever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've, we've already kind of hinted at the transformation in kind of her in, in the initial timeline. And then there's some question mark going on in the Veers kind of hero's journey that happens in the mm-hmm. part two. But again, we'll get to all that yep. later. Um, so f- for this app, what are some things that our friends at home can Google if they want to learn more? Well, I feel like I, I said so much about what our friends you at home really, can Google, did. but I will take, I, I really did. Um, but for those of you who maybe missed it or you're like, God, what was Spock yammering on about again? Um, I, of course, we got to give a shout out to Joseph Campbell, who coined the term monomyth or hero's journey. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Um, and you can obviously Google that. You can also pick up the tome, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, or just download the PBS, The Power of which Myth. Is, Both are great options. a much chiller way to get the same information. Fair. Totally fair. Um, we talked about Carl Jung again. We talked about archetypes. Um, we'll probably talk a little bit about the collective unconscious next time. So if some of you want to like, I don't know, really study up before next step, feel free. 
but you don't have to. As always, friends, we may be at the helm of this ship, but we know who really keeps us running. Thank you to Ensign Kyle Rebar, who composed our theme song. Thank you to Lieutenant Catherine Mandycat Duffy, who designed our beautiful cover art. And finally, thank you to our fabulous producer, Lieutenant Commander Brian Therens. Thank you for always being such a good sport about hanging out in the abyss. Tune in for our next ep on The Hero's Journey Part 2, Return from the Abyss. And be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And the very best way you can support our podcast is to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And be sure to tell your friends. And as always, friends, live long and and prosper. prosper. Mm, We all did, sir. But I know for a fact that you are a fan of Kelly Sue DeConnick, writer of Bitch Planet, as well as a run of Captain Marvel. I should re-say that because I said Captain Marvel. (laughs) (laughs) Another great film.